Uh, migration is a topic by excellence, I think, that uh, even been talking about migration now or in the past, many migration researchers would say it's such a complex process, basically forget about any meaningful theory building. So then to go in the future is even more, raising more skepticism, I would say. And this is one of the first conclusions I can already draw from this project so far, that yes, there is a lot of skepticism. Also in our, some people are very enthusiastic, but particularly the researchers who were involved in the stakeholders groups, you found quite some skepticism. What does this actually add? Because we don't actually even understand what is happening now. So you talk about the future in 20 or 30 years. What is this going to add? We still believe that this method has something to add. Um, the Global Migration Futures Project started uh, two years ago with the aim of gaining insights in possible future migration trends. And this goes straight to the heart of the IMI's research agenda in a way, developing a long-term perspective on international migration as part of global change. So they have everything basically, the longer-term migration and as part of global change. So how does the world change and what will be the impact on migration? But of course to talk about the globe is too much sometimes and we needed to focus and North Africa and Europe are big enough, complex enough. Uh, so we limited ourselves to thinking about it. So it's a very different project from the two that have been presented because our unit of analysis is quite different. I'll come back to that. Also creates lots of problems. Um, we also involve stakeholders, like all the other projects, but of course it's much less directly linked to action. It's more about breaking open the box and the black box and, and, and trying to encourage people to imagine what might happen to the future and to think about what might be policy responses without assuming that those people around the table single-handedly can change those policies. But the idea is to elaborate scenarios on migration in North Africa and Europe with a time span of about 30 years from now. Uh, taking into account, so trying to look at how does the environment that we know that impacts on migration, the social issues, economic development, political, demographic, technological and environmental change, how might they impact on migration in the future? And like I said in the introduction, the idea is not to come up with predictions, but the idea to challenge existing assumptions about migration, both in terms of what actually drives migration, what are the causes of migration, which is a more kind of normal question we would explore as researchers, but the more challenging uh, element, and particularly here the scenarios methodology was useful, to think about how this whole global context might change and how would this impact onto migration processes in the two regions we were studying. And the role of stakeholders is bringing other perspectives because also during the workshop we came quite clear that they do bring in different perspectives and they also challenge ways we work as social scientists. So try to con challenge conventional thinking, not just from this social scientist con challenging the policy maker because this is the normal way it goes, uh, but also try to engage in a dialogue. But are we asking the right questions? And what questions do we need to ask? And what this is also one of the main results. I come back to that at the end. That it, I think the method is not only useful to engage stakeholders in opening new imaginative horizons about how things might be radically different in the future, which also would require different policy responses, but also in terms of what are actually relevant questions to explore. So I think there's also a feedback into the research process. Are we actually looking at the right things? And shouldn't we also look at other things? 
So, two main questions coming back to this model and contextual uncertainties. The first one, what drives migration? And some of these causal factors, if we think about commonsensical thinking, have quite different impacts on migration than we sometimes assume. But again, the scenario is really about this broader context. Now, from the past, we have some examples. The oil crisis in 1973 has caused a seismic shift in North Africa and the Middle East, and Europe has completely turned around uh, pre-existing migration processes. And we can learn from the past. But as we know, you cannot just assume the same thing will happen because the world has changed. So just give three examples of assumptions that often exist in thinking about migration, both within this kind of scientific realm and in the policy realm. Uh, just three examples. The role of immigration policies. In a lot of thinking about migration, there assumed a central role of migration policies, a kind of shaping migration flows. And the idea, for instance, in the case of Europe, the Fortress Europe, we are restricting entry, less people come in. This idea of the policy recipe of opening and closing the immigration tap. It's kind of underlying assumption that policies are the main driver of migration. And a lot of discussions about the future of migration is indeed about so-called migration governance. But there is an uncertainty. How big is the effect of policy? And do, do, do they not sometimes have unintended uh, policies? There are some insights from research there. For instance, looking at European immigration rates, what we see in the past, despite increasing restrictions, we see a structural increase in immigration rates from outside European Union to the European Union. And this graph shows the relation between net immigration and GDP growth in one of the Western European countries with the most restrictive immigration policies. This doesn't provide answers, it rather raises questions about what is actually the role of policy if we think about migration in the past, present, and in the future. Another assumption, much discussed during the workshops we organized, is this idea of development reduces migration. Because in a lot of the debates, because in reaction to migration crisis around boat migration from Africa to Europe, which have occurred over the last 10 years at several locations, it's often been mentioned in policy circles and amongst researchers that we need a sort of Marshall Plan for Africa as one of the methods to try to take away the causes of migration. The uncertainty is, and this is still a model uncertainty, still within normal science, is what is the effect of development on migration? Also here, there is some evidence from research that shows if you rank all the countries in the world from least developed to most developed, that the emigration stocks, so the numbers of people living abroad, actually increases with development initially instead of the other way around. So this opens a whole new set of questions. Thinking about Sub-Saharan Africa, one of the most Sub-Saharan Africa, one of the most poorest regions in the world, if social human development would occur, you could actually expect, perhaps expect an increase in migration if those factors change, rather in an opposite direction. But this is still somehow feeding insight somehow into that process. But also if we look at how will the future change? A lot of thinking about migration, immigration policy in, in North America, in Europe is implicitly based on the idea that immigration is some, there is an unlimited supply of low-skilled migrant workers that come to Europe. The underlying assumption is a so-called third world with very high population growth. 
a lot of people very eager to migrate. It totally ignores global demographic transitions that have already occurred, <coughs> which already means we cannot just extrapolate from current trends. Fertility rates all around the world have gone massively down in almost all countries in the world, particularly in countries which are now prime sources of immigrant labor, like North Africa, like Turkey, or like Mexico. How will demographic shifts affect future migration? Now here we cannot just predict, because in normal social science, we would more focus on demographics. But, of course, what, how demographics impact onto the low migration process fundamentally depends on the interaction with other processes, like economic growth, like political stability. And these are typically factors that are not factored because we don't know how they're going to evolve. And here, the scenarios methodology has been incredibly useful for us to think about these more uncertain factors. But we might be able to say something about demography, about other factors not. Just to illustrate what has happened with world fertility and, and what are the kind of projections, forecasts of the United Nations Population Division, we have already seen we have already seen a massive reduction of fertility levels all around the world. This is the example of China, 1970. China, right? Uh, projection in 2020. You see a complete change of the population structure. If China keeps on growing this way, starts already to attract migrants from from abroad. You can imagine the world would like look quite differently. And the question is, where will future migrants come from? We cannot just assume that in 20 or 30 years the migrants will still come from the same countries. What will happen to the global supply of migrant workers? What will happen to the relative scarcity of different types of labor? How does it link in with aging processes in current receiving countries? We are sure the world is going to look differently. And this is certainly going to impact on migration. But how it's going to impact on migration fundamentally depends on a whole set of other factors that are much more uncertain. And here we need scenarios. The components of the project, on the one hand we have, and what we have tried to experiment with so far, is trying to combine a scenarios approach, which what I call, with, with what I would call a normal kind of social science approach. So having an interaction between what do we and what do we not know from social science research? What questions do we not explore? And what new questions do these scenarios actually give us? Now, we also had a long series of stakeholders' interviews. We started the project with that. We have had two workshops where we brought together stakeholders from different sectors. Uh, so I, I mentioned them already, from, from, from business, society, government, and, and a bunch of researchers. We brought them together in The Hague really went very well. It was very, I recognize everything you've been saying about the creation of the community and the really ex very kind of creative process and the collective ownership when developing these scenarios uh, and this engagement of people is very useful. We got a bit criticized. It was very Eurocentric, the workshop in The Hague was one of the reasons we planned the workshop to take place in Cairo just this month. Um, and one of the things we've learned from scenarios always expect the unexpected. And I can tell you two anecdotes. We, we wanted to organize the first workshop in The Hague, I think, in April last year, which we had to cancel because of the volcanic ash blooms coming in from Iceland. And we planned to have the workshop in Cairo already a year ago, but then the Arab Spring began, and until four weeks before the workshop, we weren't sure whether we could have the workshop in Cairo. So this was all kind of within the whole spirit of scenarios. <laughs> Never assume continuity business as usual, expect very unexpected things to happen, particularly when you think about North Africa, political change and economic growth. This is very relevant, and it made us even more aware of that. 
being actually on 100 yards from Tahrir Square having this meeting. Currently we're trying, so we developed initial scenarios in The Hague. We provided for both Europe and for North Africa four scenario stories. We selected two which we elaborated further and we discussed again in Cairo, so we revisited those scenarios and we brought in partly the same people, some new stakeholders, which was an interesting process as well, and some people even were surprised. Did I say this last year? Because people got back to business as usual, perhaps, but engaging them again in the process was great. Now, we think about this step currently is about what can possible responses be within those four scenarios we'll have. How can policy respond? Um, to, to deal with these possible different realities in the future of migration. Now, we have made, may have made some adaptations to the methodology. Our initial time frame is up to 2050, but we felt increasingly uncomfortable with that time span. It was just too difficult. Even the demographics become too uncertain on that kind of longer term. Of course, the unit of analysis. We have read quite some stuff from how Shell did it, but yeah, Shell has a quite easy to identify uh, management and also quite easy to identify goal. But how can you speak about a continent or a subcontinent? Uh, you have multiple stakeholders, you have migrants, people in government, business, trade unions, very different interests. So there's not one singular interest. So we had to adapt also the way we talked about it. It makes it much more complex. Also we found certainties and uncertainties let's say relative certainties and relative uncertainties. It was much more difficult with such a time span, with such a complex process, to have this kind of absolute transform. And then this is effort to try to combine scenarios and social science methodologies, and this is still something we are exploring. One of the main things that came up as kind of key uncertainties when we think about migration from within and to Europe and North Africa is obviously economic growth in the EU and North Africa. This is not rocket science. One of the things that was discussed a lot was future of the European Union. And perhaps in the meantime, this has become even more apparent with all the tensions, that still last year a lot of people couldn't even imagine that there might be a process of such retraction or contraction or disintegration. And still for many people it's difficult to imagine. But this is one of these things that you do in scenarios you imagine things that most people don't think are very likely to happen, but it's not the same as scenarios. Something might be less likely in, in the minds of people, but this is not something you can rule out. And there might be weak signs, as it's called in scenarios, about these processes appearing, with the recent conflicts, for instance, on migration control in Europe or on the Euro. Xenophobia was much discussed. Some people said what we currently see in Europe on xenophobia might be weak signs of something much bigger to happen. Political conflict, particularly in the context of Northern Africa and democratization, were also identified as key uncertainties, but very important factors driving migration. Also some megatrends. Some, some, if we think about the next 20 to 30 years, some issues that seem much more certain to happen. If you look at the past, but also look at the future, increasing literacy in education, particularly in North Africa, is not something that's very likely to be reversed. It's going to have fundamental implications on migration. Economic diversification and urbanization, these are processes that have been underway, seem to be less likely to be reversed. Now, technological advances in terms of communication, road, but particularly production systems, high level of uncertainty on the one hand, but if we think about transport and communication, we are 
it's pretty short, is going to be further facilitating migration process. What the exact effect will be on migration is quite a different issue. And then demographic transitions, which means in Northern Africa declining population growth and population aging, particularly in Europe. The problem is you can't just from those sort of megatrends predict what's going to happen to migration because it is very much mediated by other factors which are much more uncertain. Now, last two slides, and just to take the example of North Africa. We identified two main axes of uncertainty if we think about the future of migration in Northern Africa. The one is the levels of economic growth, economic growth, ranging from economic decline to economic, high economic growth. Another dimension was political conflict and instability. And we discussed much whether these two axes are independent enough, because that's one of these uh, requirements for scenarios development. Yes, we concluded in the end, yes, this is possible. Don't talk about civil war particularly, but it could be just political contestation of power. And we have actually all see that in, in, for instance, our countries. So one of the scenarios was discovery of oil in other North African countries, where small elites keep, try to keep control of those small resources and try to keep suppress democratization. Now the two scenarios we selected for development was blooming desert and the other one was go east young man. Quite contrasting scenarios with very different outlooks for migration. To just summarize this in two sentences. The blooming desert is the idea that with structural political and economic reform in northern African countries where we already kind of see the beginning and there might be some bumps on the road but this is going to lead to also better economic policies, more equitable economic growth. And also, better government is going to lead those countries to play a leading role in green technologies, some farming, in agricultural exports towards Europe, trying to overcome men, and at the same time, with the demographic window of opportunities, past reductions of fertility going to provide lots of possibilities of people um, to thrive, and actually, Northern Africa is going to become a major pool of immigration, particularly from Sub-Saharan Africa, where population growth is so much higher and poverty is This is the other scenario, where basically people keep their authoritarian regimes, regain control, and North Africans are trying to look for new destinations. And this might include in our scenarios Russia and Turkey, which now experience unprecedented growth away from Europe where growing xenophobia and immigration restrictions make less attractive. Just to summarize. I have to stop, I think. The one thing I want, like, to, what would like to flag is this kind of the main issues that came up from those workshops that made us aware of some things we actually don't understand that well. Two things, demographic change and migration. There's a lot of demographic determinism, I would say, I discovered in our thinking about how those processes impact immigration because they're so contingent on other processes. But what was one of the most hugely debated topics was technological change in immigration. And one of the key insights also for me that emerged from those discussions, also from people from outside academia, that you don't factor in that technology is going to change. And how it's going to impact immigration is very ambiguous because on the one hand you facilitate movement, but you can also have changes of production systems. More commuting, more telecommunication can also take away some sources of migration. 
And it opens a totally new discussion and global increasing scarcity of certain types of labor can trigger a technology response. Robots were much discussed during the workshop. How will this, uh, how will this impact on migration? I'm not going to give answers to those questions. What I'd like to stress is that for, I think this iterative process was very long, uh, very useful as well to generate new questions also for this. I'm going to stop here. Thank <laughs> you.